Alright, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We got our man Jack Butcher in the place, king of the metaverse right now. What's happening, man? Mate, how are you? Good to be here, boys. We're gonna talk about your bored ape, uh bored ape taking over a little bit later in the show, but you've been keeping us up to date with all all the craziness going on there. We've got Trunk Fan, writer at the hustle, regular on CNBC, best friends Elon Musk on Twitter anyway. <laughs> also, dude, before we actually do the official one. You you're about to hit or already hit a hundred thousand followers, right? Did that happen yet? This, I know this is gonna come out sometime next week. If I'm not a hundred thousand by then, I'm I'm an embarrassment. <laughs> yeah. I'm a total embarrassment. You're quitting Twitter. Yeah, uh, anyway. I'm at ninety nine three right now. I'm not even keeping track to be honest. Who, it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, it's not just... a mile. It's not a milestone that I bought a cake for from Dairy Queen that I'm gonna eat <laughs> when I hit. I didn't go to Dairy Queen and ask them to make a custom cake with 100K on it. What? You just got that. just a fa- just Trunks face on it <laughs> on CNBC with his sleeveless hoodie on it. Wait, hold on. Before uh, before we get into the, uh, to more meaty stuff, I wanted to say uh, we're calling Jack uh, the king of the metaverse and uh, his uh, his board ape calls. So any listeners here that have purchased any board apes, and we told you not to do anything based on what you hear on this podcast, okay? So I was hitting Jack. I'm like, how serious should we lean into the fact that you called board ape? He's like, listen, if you if you take credit on the way up, you're gonna have to take credit on the way down. <laughs> yeah. So a preview, a preview you, for what we got coming today, not anyway. Advice, not investment. You did not hear about board ape on the not investment advice podcast. Um, Amen. So look, we're gonna we're talk, gonna talk about Cuban later today. Mark Cuban had this crazy blog post about. DeFi, yield farming, liquidity providing, all this crazy stuff that most of us don't really fully understand. Uh, so we're going to cover that. We're going to talk about board apes um, and what's going on, the crazy uh, stuff in DeFi world and crypto overall. Um, but before we get onto that, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the convergence of in the investing world and media. So there's a couple big stories that came out this week. Uh, one was Harry Stebbings, uh, 20 minute VC dude, podcaster, uh, also from the UK, um, just announced like 150 or $160 million venture fund. 140, 140, I think. 140, 140, yeah. all right. And then A16Z, the leading VC fund, have just said, uh, or Andreessen Horowitz, um, they uh, have officially become a content publisher. So, um, so why don't we just kick off with that, boys? Like, what you guys are like sitting at the edge of both of these things. I know Jack, you're investing as well in startups nowadays. You're like one of the people a lot of people look at in the creator space as an individual who's kind of built an audience uh, and done that. And then Trung, on your side, you've been killing it as much as anyone in building up your brand and your name on Twitter, especially. Um, and maybe one day you might have a fund as well or something like that. So I'm curious, like, how are you guys seeing what's going on in that space? Jack, yeah, go nuts, buddy. All right. All right. So the, I have to admit, Harry Stebbings is, I haven't watched a single Harry Stebbings YouTube video. And I, I just got, I don't understand how I never heard his name before. So forgive my uh, <laughs> That's all right. ignorance on that story, but fair play to him. Um, but you know, I listened to the Jake Paul, my first million, I'm about halfway through that. And at a high level, it does feel like this unstoppable shift, right? When individuals have the amount of leverage that they have now, um, they are media entities unto themselves. And I think reading like, like reading the Andreessen future, right? That's what it's called. 
reading the the um the homepage of that when it launched it's basically every founder of every portfolio company they have writing a story about why their business is going to be the future of x right which fair play that's everybody talks their own book but it's just an interesting i know there's this interesting tension between the critique of traditional media and the incentives behind it and then that basically the same human incentives start to inform any media company even if people imagine that they aren't biased or they aren't reporting something that is uh, you know, advantageous to them in the long term. This everybody, like- everybody has a uh, you know a constituency, but the New York Times uh, has moved to the left because their subscriber base is frankly more to the left, right? So they're catering to that constituency. Uh, they also have powerful backers uh, in politics and business. So yeah, everybody, uh, Jack, you're right. Everybody talks their own book, right? And I, Apart I from us, because this is not yeah. investment advice. But yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny but, is we talk our own book, but we tell people we're talking about it. We tell them not yeah, to we're, we're, it. We're honest about it, at least. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, I just want to add the last point on uh, before I cut Jack off there was, um, yeah, everybody has, you know, of course, the, these founders are going to be talking positively about their companies and their vision of the future. But I mean, that's the point is that nobody, they're not, they're not getting that coverage from the mainstream media. So like, listen, we're just going to put this out here. And frankly, anybody that really cares enough to look into these things should be like, okay, here's one side of it. Here's the other side, right? You're an idiot if you're only looking at one side. And this is actually why I started. I mean, people, I used to tell people, like I go to Drudge Report and Fox News, like maybe a couple times a week, right? And Breitbart, I just want to know what, how the other side sees, not, not even that I'm necessarily, uh, you know, left or, uh, or progressive or super progressive or liberal, but like, I definitely lean that way. I just want to know what's going on over there, man. Like, and you, obviously I'll go there and be like, yo, there's some crazy shit going on here, but you know, when they go to, you know, uh, when a right, uh, wing leaning people go to left wing outlets, they're just saying the same shit, right? They're like, this shit's fucking crazy. So I think, uh, the Andreessen, the takeaway for me is, and this is not to compare either to left or right, it's just that there's more, there's always multiple sides to the story, right? And if any individual that like, cares enough to opine on these things, listen, if you care enough to have an opinion, you still look at every angle. I can't remember who said it. It might've been Christopher Hitchens, but like you, you, you can't be an expert in something unless you can argue the other side perfectly, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I think, I think it's just an interest. it's... Uh... Just thinking about what constitutes media, uh, like that whole definition has changed. Like press is, you know, this is a Balaji idea. The idea of reporting a story, it requires a villain or a require, right. like there's, there are certain it's constructs a it's a narrative. Yeah, that are prevalent in traditional media that may not be prevalent in what we're seeing now, which is more of like an announcement versus a story, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know, the, the, the argument that distribution is just ridiculously, like a ridiculous advantage, and it's taken this long for people who are immersed in this every day to realize it. Like the Jake Paul comment on My First Million, where he's like, oh, two million listeners. That's like a cute niche audience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean Jake Paul said that to them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, is, uh, yeah. which is just like a a fascinating realization and he's got an angel list rolling fund. Now yeah. I actually, I'll, a year. I'll give a little bit more color on that. Cause I actually interviewed him uh, also for the hustle right oh, nice. before, uh, um, 
they did the My First Million. So his angel investing partner is Jeffrey Wu, uh, also a founder, uh, Stanford graduate, uh, does a uh, human wellness uh, startup, HVMN, very like entrepreneurial. And he's like kind of the operations, uh, uh, you know, background uh, investing space guy to Jake's just massive distribution. Mm-hmm. And uh, and no, exactly, right? I, I, during when I chat with him, he uh, just threw the numbers out. They're insane. Like the the eyeballs this guy has and what, whatever you think about him, that's almost irrelevant. And he's like, and because he has these eyeballs, he has these eyeballs. He has this uh, super fervent fan base. And he was saying something so interesting. I asked him, okay, you have this huge fan base. Uh, how do you direct them towards these startups that you're going to invest in? Right. Because they're called the anti fund and their strategy is actually a bit different than most venture funds. Uh, they are rolling fund first of all, but the other thing is they want to make, concentrated bets where they have a pretty high ownership instead of doing a, a spray and pray. So they're not looking for like one, two, three, four, 5% in companies. They're like, listen, we'll find companies that we believe in that we can add value and we want 10, 20, 30%. Right. And I asked him like, how will you direct people towards those things? And he, I mean, he actually nailed, he actually said, uh, 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 Jack, what you alluded to, he's talking about narrative. He's like, listen, if you look at my Twitter feed and like how I, I prepare my audience for these fights I have. Cause he's into boxing, just like his brother, Logan. He's like, I'm creating like these narrative arcs, right? Like I'm bringing my audience along on these journeys with me. And like, I think I will be applying those same things to any company I invest in because uh, that will get people engaged and excited and make them even potentially become customers or even investors if they want, cause it's a rolling fund. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, no view into whether or not that'll actually work, but uh, it, it, I think it really ties into Bilal's initial questions, right? The marriage between content and commerce going into investing. Well, well Trung, I was going to say, um, as you're explaining that, remember we had this conversation months ago about the heel character. Yeah. Like when you listen to someone like Jake Paul out, like out of character, it's kind of a fascinating experience, right? Because people assume, or I at least assumed, I wouldn't label everyone to this, is like the Jake Paul you see ringside at the Logan Paul fight is yeah. like what he's doing all day long. It's like, it's not, that's not him, right? He's like, he's just in exceptionally- Playing the character. Exceptionally good performer, right? And yeah. uh, that to me is like, this fascinating separation between- he can move a crowd in a certain direction and that might be completely different from the type of people that are investing in the fund, right? It's like this this person who wants to make an investment in Jake Paul's fund understands his ability to direct commerce in a direction. It'd be like if you were... Exactly. Let's say that you were an individual that want an LP, a limited partner, which means an individual that gives money to these funds and that you want... Uh, to direct investments toward you know green investments, climate change fighting investments, you'd find an expert in that field, right? Jake is an expert in directing attention. So yeah. if you are a consumer interested investor or want to be involved in someone that, that can, you know, move millions, like I mean, it's like you said, right? Two million. Uh, your the illusion you had where he goes and talks to the My First Million podcast uh, podcaster Sam and Sean. It's like, oh, two million. That's a really cute little audience you yeah. have, right? Uh, but can that, I, yeah. I was just going to add as well because I think the the kind of macro thing here is like the empowerment of the individual, the leverage that they have now versus. 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I tweeted about this a few days ago, which was something along the lines of uh, 
you know, people who have an audience are now realizing that they don't just need to read an ad for another company. They want ownership of that company. And especially when you're big enough, you're able to say, all right, not, not only do we want to like just promote this product, I want to like collaborate and make this product with you or I want to come and invest in it or whatever. So I think that's that's one yeah, big the two, thing. Yeah, the two and big examples is uh, LeBron with Blaze Pizza. He's like, I'm out at McDonald's. Yeah. Why don't I just get equity stake in a fast rising fast, casual, healthy type of pizza, or you go back, right, to the OG, 50 cent and vitamin water. That's like the OG example. <laughs> but, and, and that's, but that's OG, which is a good example. But then there's all the new, all the new ones too, which are like YouTubers, like right. even like Nelk Boys. We've, we've talked about this in the DMs. If you don't know who the Nelk Boys are, wow. they're kind of like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to describe them. They're like a bunch of frat like jackass. bros. They're like, they're, they're like a YouTube jackass. Yeah. yeah. And, and to be fair, their videos are incredibly made. Oh. Like their, yeah. their production quality is really crazy. They're kind of no hold bars, like say anything, do crazy stuff, pranking people. Um, yeah, they got millions yeah, of yeah. followers, and they've just they have launched to make like all a, their money from merch, actually, and other yeah. avenues because they're demonetized. <laughs> exactly, but they just launched a salsa company, uh, like oh, a spiked salsa go, company, right? yeah. and they have crushed it. Like from what I can see, they're absolutely crushing it. Like they, and they, there were people like thousands and thousands of people turning up for their like that. Yeah, yeah, the energy is crazy, and and you know they're kind of annoying in some ways. Like they're kind of like dicks but like they're they're really talented i'll give them credit for what they're doing um and then of course you got the logan paul and the, the brothers there what they're doing in like boxing which is crazy right because would you say 10 years ago two youtubers are going to fight and make millions and then fast forward a few more years one of those is going to fight the greatest fighter of all time arguably and and this, this is just a crazy kind of world we're living in so um, I think that's a good example. And then the last thing on Harry specifically, I will say because, you know, he's, you know, he's really young, man. He's like 24, 25 years old, I it's think. insane. He started a podcast in his mum's kitchen and uh, literally doing, we started pretty much the same time. We, uh, we've spoken and met a few times. Oh, you met Harry? Yeah, yeah. I met him. Um, yeah, we got introduced because someone I interviewed uh, had like, was doing something with him as well. And he just introduced us uh, and you know, spoken a little bit, but not like, I wouldn't say we're friends. We've just spoken and texted and stuff like that. But he's just absolutely took it to another level. Like he's done thousands of interviews with all the biggest investors. And his whole thing was, I'm going to learn how to be an investor by interviewing the best investors. And and he, trust me, like he knows as much as anyone about this world, given what he's done. And then he's now parlayed that into starting a smaller fund and now a really big fund. And he's got, you know, the founder of Spotify involved, like, you know, big, big investors are involved with what he's doing. So big up to Harry and uh, it's really cool to see more, more of this is going to happen for sure. Uh, anything else to, to add to that, boys, before we move on? No, no, I just—I was, was going to say I was going to interrupt the Nelk Boys segment and say they're giving away a Ferrari <laughs> four eight eight at the moment, which is like a four hundred and fifty grand car, which just goes to show like the arbitrage that exists in. Wait, what are they doing with the Ferrari? Just giving it to one of their Instagram. Oh, they're just followers. giving it away. Oh, that's yeah, a yeah. Mr. Beast playbook, man. Well, actually, yeah. this brings up, I'm going to ask you guys a question. If if you look at all these creators like Mr. Beast, Logan Paul, and his brother, like if. We fast forward 20 years from now, and I said one of them had become the first billionaire creator, like the YouTube creator or a podcast who became I a billionaire. I think it's got to be Mr. Beast, man. I, it's Mr. Just, Beast, it's right? It's got to be Mr. Beast, dude. And why, just, why do you think that? I mean, he already has uh, he already has the audience size. Is it 50 million plus? Uh, if you're talking about first, uh, I think it, I think it's got to be him, man. I mean, yeah. 
he's investing. Uh, fair enough. It, it, the other side of the coin is that Logan and Jake are making so much money from boxing. Like, even though the match was complete shit by any objective standard, they were just hugging for the It didn't matter, rounds. right? It did not matter. People talked about it. We talked about it. I was memeing about it. You guys are joking about it. It's insane. It's just absolutely insane. Uh, I just, I mean, it, it, and my answer is not special, right? If, if saying Mr. Beast is going to be the first uh, creator billionaire, is like saying LeBron's going to be a billionaire, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. clearly they're on that trajectory. Uh, Jack, you have an opinion on this? Nelt boys, Nelt boys for the win. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be billionaires, but they're they're definitely crushing it either way. Whatever yeah, they're doing. I mean, the, like I, the alcohol brand is a hell of a play, right? The, oh my god, yeah. The, you know well, the dude. acquisitions in that space over the last like five years or something just ludicrous. Didn't yeah, Clooney sell Casa Amigos for what a billion dollars or something idiotic? Well, dude, I'll, let me let me walk through the barstool example. It'll be the perfect segue into the next thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. um, I wrote about Spitting Chicklets, uh, which is now the most popular hockey podcast in the world. Uh, they launched a vodka brand called Pink Whitney. And the, the amazing part is this. It all happened within the confines of the show and the interaction with the audience. So uh, Spitting Chicklets, hockey podcast, their presenting sponsor was a vodka brand, New Amsterdam Vodka. In an episode 18 months ago, so this has all happened within the last year and a half, they asked the two hosts, two former NHLers, just to say, what do you, what, what's your favorite vodka drink? And Ryan Whitney, very successful hockey player, he, he goes, my favorite drink is uh, 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 vodka with pink lemonade. And then he goes, busy says, I know I'm going to get roasted for this, but like, I don't give a shit. Like, it's the greatest drink ever. Right after the episode, people start DMing pictures of pink lemonade and vodka. My buddy uh, Jeff Jacobson is the manager for one of the podcast hosts, uh, uh, Paul Bissonnette, also huge hockey personality, arguably the, like, the biggest hockey personality like as a personality in the world right now. And they're just monitoring social. They're like, oh, my God. Like People are just latching on to this pink lemonade idea. Similar to how people have been buying Bored Apes by listening to Jack, people were latching onto the pink lemonade idea and they're just like, fuck it. We need to turn this into an alcohol brand. And in less than a year, they had created a, a alcohol called Pink Whitney. It's literally just pink lemonade and vodka. I've had it. It hits you so hard. It's just so... You can Trying to have some this morning. <laughs> Dude, I had some this morning, man. Go, go to the liquor store and look for Pink Whitney. It is... in. It, and they're selling out in, uh, in in niches that they never even thought existed. If you Google Pink Whitney, the top places are in the South, like Alabama, Arkansas, that have no hockey presence. It's like become That's a hilarious. party drink. Yeah, it's like a party drink, a shot drink. But anyways, long story short, it's doing 100 million a year. Or they've That's sold 100 insane. million. Crazy. And, yeah. and like this is, this is a great example of the ability to mitigate risk completely if you have distribution. Right. Yeah. Like we can manufacture or, or manufacture or validate demand for a product before it exists. And like Jake Paul and whoever else can send out one tweet and be like, do you want me to fight Floyd Mayweather, get 50 million impressions in an hour, send that to a bo whoever, whatever boxing promoter would make that happen and be like, but we'll have at least this many people watch it, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a no brainer to run it. Right. Yeah, Jack, you do this quite well. You do this on um, maybe not the 50 million impressions for a boxing yeah. match, but like yeah, the, yeah. but even like literally the hat you're wearing on your head. Correct me if I'm wrong. You'll post 
a design for a lot of these merch things and just see how people react. And if yeah. people like it, you'll put a next link like, oh, now available to buy a limited order or something, right? Yeah, I think that, that's been for the education products too. So people have either you like listen and see somebody say something. So the design product that we first built was a byproduct of a David Perel tweet. He's like, oh, I really want to learn uh, this design skill set, specifically how to visualize an idea. So I just retweet that and say, who, Say who no more, fam. <laughs> yeah, it's done. Yeah, 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 exactly. And that's, that's an interesting advantage that people have and a really different shift in mindset, right? Where the traditional founder is sort of in the trenches, building a business, like bring it to market when you've already put 90% of the effort into it. And then the market's like, nah, we don't want that. Thank well, you, dude, Brian. I mean, I'm sure, uh, I mean, Jack, you must like the amount of cold outreach you must get for people that have a product looking for distribution must be insane, right? Like I'm getting hit up and like, I haven't had the established track record of you've actually, dude, I have a established track record of shit posting. Listen, the shit's A plus, <laughs> but like, let's be honest here. I'm not a business builder, right? Uh, but, like, and I'm already just getting hit left, right and center. And, uh, well, that's the crazy uh, thing is you are like, by the new definition, you are like, you are the, like, the launch pad, which is the most, right, right. the toughest piece to crack, like organic. The, the, the thing about the increase in like the volume of content and the competition for attention is like the trusted distribution is going to be the only asset to scale something near enough. I've in, actually never heard not, that adjective, which is funny. Trust, I've heard the trusted, trusted distribution. distribution. Yo, terms that, right here. Yo, dude. <laughs> trusted distribution. Dot com. Yeah. Let's check it out. Yeah. <laughs> 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 did it right now dot btc just in case yeah, you make yeah. create a new address all no, right but man your btc is trustless distribution oh that's yeah true. that's true that's true all right fiat fan coming out hot all right so <laughs> but look so you mentioned the bot first of all actually i just want to comment to say a reminder that trung is canadian because uh you're listening to what is it um hockey podcast bro like <laughs> yeah it's actually the most it's it might be the most popular podcast in canada actually which is not surprising are you a hockey fan i used to be i'm not a huge hockey fan all right cool cool cool, cool. i just wanted to see how much you lean in all right so you you mentioned barstool uh that brings us on to the next big story which is related to this was Call her daddy is going to Spotify. I think it's 30 million a year for two years. It sounds like uh, 20 million a year for three years. 20 million for three years. All right. So 60 million total. Um, and like, let, let's dig into this example, man, because this is like I'm a gonna, crazy me, story. I've been doing yeah, some. Trung, you've been doing some research. So, like, yeah. first of all, give us the background for people who don't know what Call Her Daddy is. Even some people okay. don't know what Barstool is and uh, kind of like what, what they're doing with Spotify now. All right, I'm going to go on a bit of a rant. So uh, hold you up, prepare yourself, have a sip of your coffee. So Barstool Sports is uh, one of the leading kind of sports comedy websites in the world, or digital media properties. Over the last five years, they've built up a massive podcasting uh, business. I think they have 30 plus podcasts and they might be the fourth or fifth largest podcast uh, distributor in the world right now, or in America. So they have more than ESPN, for example, as a, as a comparison point. And they basically found uh, Alex Cooper and uh, Sophia. Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. Another uh, female named Sophia. So two New York kind of uh, young professionals. They saw them on Instagram. I think uh, Sophia and Alex had uh, created some type of uh, either the video content or audio content. And the Barstool team's like, oh, this is interesting. 
we don't have, you know, we would like to get into this young under 30 kind of young professional female market. And, and, and Alex and Sophia talked a lot about like the, the, the locker room stuff, right? Like a lot of sex positive talk is how they say it. And, yeah. um, and so Barstool goes to them and they're like, uh, and, and they agree to do a deal. So I'm going to walk through the deals. Uh, what this was kind of 2018 and the, everything I'm going to say, what I want to start with is that this will be the playbook. What Barstool and Dave Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, eh, you guys know what I'm talking about. And Erica Nardini, Portnoy, the Barstool yeah. CEO, what <laughs> yeah. they did with Alex and Sophia, like this deal structure and how it played out. It's literally going to be the playbook moving forward for individual creators and interacting with corporations. So they're like, okay, we're going to give you 70,000 base and I think about 5% of merchandise upside. So 70,000 base doesn't sound like a lot, but Barstool has a huge distribu- uh, distribution right along across all mediums. And the podcast absolutely blew up. Year one, the girls ended up making 500,000 each about. So that means the merch component was their 5% of the merch component means their the merch was millions and millions of dollars, right? And then last year, about this time, there was a big blow up because they're getting so big that they want to renegotiate the contract. And uh, a lot of people may have heard about the story then because uh, uh, Portnoy took over their podcast feed. A lot of the, uh, the audience of Caller Daddy, obviously female-centric, had never even heard of his, his voice, right? And, or even really knew he was because there's a totally tangential audience to what Barstool was building. And, and actually, Trung wrote, just to add, he's not just like a regular, like, oh, he's your boss, like wearing a suit sort of guy. He's like oh, yeah. out there he's saying a super, crazy stuff. He's a, one of the crazy, uh, he's an internet first Hilarious. creator, right? 2.5 million on Twitter. Uh is worth hundreds of millions of dollars because Barstool was uh, had sold a third of their business to Penn Gaming, uh, which we'll talk about later for about a uh, valuation is 450 mil. But yeah, so they renegotiated the contract and they, the girls wanted bigger guaranteed money and more percentage of the upside, right? And the reason it kind of blew up was uh, Porno said in this takeover of this podcast, he explained his exact thinking about talent. He's like, I want creators to renegotiate. Cause that just means everybody's winning. Right. He says, I, if, if I tell any creator to come, it's like, listen, we'll do a three-year contract. If in three years you're bigger than you are now or way bigger and you want to leave good leave. Like we're all winning. Right. It's like, I've made you bigger. You've made us money. And the reason he got mad at this time last year was they, they were broke. They broke the contract. Right. They're basically saying we were trying to leave this contract. He's like, listen, I'm fine to renegotiate, but you know, we had a timeline that we agreed on. But anyways, long story short is Sophia ended up leaving the podcast and Alex Cooper stayed on and she stayed with Barstool. So a year from that kind of breakup, she just got the Caller Daddy property acquired by Spotify uh, exclusive for 60 mil over three years. But here's the thing. A year ago when she renegotiated with Barstool, they gave her the IP because they owned the IP to begin with. Which so isn't they, that common. Uh, yeah, I heard that that, right. that was something she really wanted. And Portnoy was like, yeah, okay, this is a big deal, but we're willing to do it. Right. So this what all speaks what to is, how- the, What does IP mean in the context of a podcast? Like all the uh, content probably is owning the, R, the Owning the RSS feed, uh, owning the audience and owning uh, the name of the brand, right? Got it. Yeah. And then, I mean, speaking to how important the R, R, RSS feed is, is like uh, when Dan Patrick, is either Dan Patrick or fuck, one of the ESPN big guys, he left ESPN and part of his negotiation leave was to get the the feed, the RSS feed for his podcast. Because, I mean, that's the, I mean, Bilal, you can speak to this. It's so hard to build 
an audience yeah. podcasting, right? Yeah, well, you, you guys know too now. So. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so I just want to talk to some key points because I know I just kind of rambled on a lot. But the point is that so Barstool structured a deal where they gave not a ton of, of guaranteed, but they gave huge on the upside. If you can hit these numbers, you're getting paid. They made half a mil the first year. And then they negotiated for the IP of the property, right? And, and we just spoke about it. It's the RS feed. It's uh, the name of the brand. But what's happening with actually, uh, Porno talked about with her, Alice Cooper leaving to Spotify. She just, he released something three days ago. He said, I actually am very happy with how this deal went out because she had gone to a point where she was getting offered money where we could pay her 20 mil a year. But to justify that, we would have to hit every single milestone that we put into that contract. And it no longer made sense for us to do that. And we just looked at it like athletics, James Harden, LeBron James, these are like James Harden, LeBron James type numbers. Right. And she, and he's like, she fully deserves it because she's a monster. She's doing Rogan S type downloads for her podcast. Having said that, it doesn't make sense for us to keep her on those terms, but we still get a ton of upside because we're splitting merch with her. Yeah. So Barstool is still doing merch with Alex, uh, 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 with Cooper. What, fuck, sorry. With Alex Cooper. Cooper. Yeah. And the whole point is that now she gets the Spotify audience, right? So Barstool's still winning. So if you're looking at the, the life cycle of this three-year relationship, a superstar creator gets the benefit of a Barstool to blow them up. But then Barstool, when you leave, gets the benefit of some type of upside, whether that be uh, maybe future content projects, which they have uh, a deal with, and merch, and who knows what else, right? So this structure of the deal is exactly how it should be in the future for any superstar content creator. Yeah, Trunk, thanks for the summary. A few things to add to that was... I think a lot of people who aren't really used to this world and understand like how the upside works or like a, a deal like this would work because why would you if you never come across it before? Like it sounds crazy that she was paid 70K like you said in the beginning. But for context, I'm, I've heard her speak about this and they were both quite happy with it because they they didn't, I don't think they earned that before. They they were they were doing like odd jobs or whatever. And and they were like, oh, cool. We get a chance to prove ourselves on this big platform. So at that stage, it was a good trade-off. Uh, at the time, uh, Barstool took a punt on them, invested in them. And then within a year, like they've already got crazy upside. They're getting what they deserve. And you could argue that maybe they deserve more or whatever, but that's kind of a sliding scale. But now fast forward, only two, three years later, this is kind of unheard of, right? Like this level, someone just popping out of nowhere, crushing it. Uh, I think the other comparable at this scale is, is uh, I mean, there's a, there's a handful, but obviously Joe Rogan was the biggest one going to Spotify. It took that him 12 was, years, right? Alex it took him 12 years. years. Exactly. And he was doing it for years. He was also an established comedian by that point. Um, and like he was on TV and like he had all this stuff versus Alex she was literally just someone who didn't have anything and built something herself and um I know we talked about this in the DMs but like she literally did all the editing herself for ages yeah. and um even when she was spilling it spilling it with the other girl she would go home late at night and like be doing it all night so like respect to her for for doing all that um but yes yeah, it's, it's I think it's a good deal for everyone like you said like th- they're still getting some upside it doesn't really make sense for them to be paying that amount for Bastel to be paying that amount yeah. Yeah, because totally. the economics of their business is not the same as Spotify. Spotify is valued on future yep. valuation and upside as a and tech lock-in, company. Right? They're, provi- they're looking for different things. Exactly. And actually, Porno talked about this. He's like, 
He's like, the value to her to Spotify is just so much greater than the Barstool now. It's because she, like, we already have an audience, right? So she's bringing her audience over to Spotify. He's like, but here's the thing is like, her audience now knows about Barstool. They've known about us for three years now. It's like, that's an audience we never had. And now there's familiarity with us, right? But there's like, there's not much more that she can add on top of that uh, to justify this 20 million a year, right? She can keep doing what she's doing, being a monster, but to Spotify, going from zero of that audience to what she's bringing is worth the 20 mil. And he's just like, it, it gets to a point where, and I think this is going to repeat over and over and over again, right? It's like, there's going to be these creators that blow up in a media property and traditional media property. And it just makes less sense for both parties to kind of maintain that relationship. Whereas big tech, which is trying to break into all types of media, like Apple just tossing money around, right? Like Google tossing money around, Amazon tossing money around. Now you get to bring this audience up to, I mean, you might even look at it tiers, right? It's like, if you're a nobody creator, you start working your way up the tiers and you know, like Barstool, huge media platform, huge distribution, but there's also, you know, there's a big bad boss ahead of that, which is big tech, right? So maybe yeah, that's maybe. just the way to look at it. I mean, Jack, how do you feel about Jack, all that? Jack, you, you got a thought? Yeah, I, I think, I think in, in three years, it's going to look like a bad deal. Maybe in a year, it'll look like a bad deal. Obviously, Spotify. A, ba- a bad deal for who? For, for Spotify or for no, Alex? No, for her. For her. For her. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you're taking the Andrew Wilkinson route. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, for, anybody that, for anybody that don't know, Andrew Wilkinson is basically saying anybody that's this level as a podcaster, they have the tools now just to go out on their own. And like Sam Harris is the example he use, uses. Uh, you know, Sam Harris, a philosopher, writer, kind yeah, of yeah. A, uh, one of the greatest think boys of the 20th Intellectual, 21st century. Yeah. <laughs> Intellectual. <laughs> think uh, boys. <laughs> he's probably making 10 mil a year on a subscription-based podcast. Right. And yeah. he owns the audience. I think, I think it's like the Spotify obviously understands the exponent of media and the internet greater than... They have more data than anybody else in like... I... Uh, I, I'll doubt all over the place in this, but this, the rate of change is so crazy that signing a th- three-year contract as a, someone that has that level of distribution, you may look back. If you grow at 0.1% a day compounded, in three years' time, you're just going to be ridiculous. You're, right, right. And not to say you'll ever be bigger than Spotify, or you're like, but if you're like legitimately on track to be one of the biggest podcasts in the world or one of the biggest personalities in your niche in the world. It's like, would Jake Paul sign a deal with Spotify? I doubt it. Like, yeah, yeah, doesn't need to, uh, like you're big enough to, you're not quite big enough to launch your own platform or not, you know, maybe it's not the deal. It's the length of the deal or the fact that it's not, I think it's the length that you're talking about or that, or the structure of it isn't like, okay, if we hit X it's performance related or, you know, I get X amount in, net new subscriptions that I bring to the platform or some shared upside that acknowledge it. And maybe this is part of the deal, but yeah, some we shared don't know, upside yeah. that acknowledges like the profound, uh, the advantage that they've obviously identified in her I'm not saying that $20 million a year is a bad deal. It's a great deal, right? It's, it's you're going to just going to say, what is the market? Life. What is the market? I mean, the, I think the, the analogy that we can all relate to or anybody here that's listening that watches sports, right? You'll, you'll see it all the time. It's like they'll lock them. A lot of the athletes will lock themselves in. You know, the, it's always a question of, do you take the money to protect yourself yep. uh, for security 
or do you bet on yourself, right? Where you'll take a little bit, it, it, it's a risk reward situation, right? And so a lot of athletes, uh, uh, NBA is my favorite sport. So I know you guys are big football, soccer fans, whatever. Don't, don't say arm ball. Nobody cares. <laughs> uh, just fucking, uh, but you know, people will take, uh, one year contracts in the NBA to be like, you know what? I'm just going to prove myself in this one year and hit the open market. So I think that's what Jack's saying is like, now what's this open market? She's off the open market, presumably for three years, right? right. So like what's going to happen in those three well, years? I, I would say, Jack, I definitely agree with you. And I think that's because we're on the same side of the spectrum in terms of looking at upside, looking at um, maximizing, you, you know, she could basically maximize revenue in a, in a different way if she went herself, owned 100% of it. At the same time, I will say someone like her and Joe Rogan, uh, just because I've heard them speak about it, they might not necessarily be optimizing for that outcome, yeah, sure. right? And and sure. for her, she's probably, again, I don't know her, but I think she's like, I just want to be able to focus on the stuff I like, do this crazy stuff have a great lifestyle and then let them figure out all the other stuff and keep propelling me and i'm going to be one of the top people that they're focused on yeah, and i exactly. think joe rogan similar like to andrew wilkinson's tweet storm about this like i agreed again with what he said on the numbers side but i've heard joe rogan specifically talk about this he's like i don't care like yeah. i'm making 100 to 200 million dollars <laughs> i'm gonna yeah, yeah. lock in i don't have to worry about all this ad stuff anymore yeah. like they're gonna figure that out i'm gonna just tour with dave Chappelle, and i'm gonna like live the best life i'm like 50 years old who cares about yeah, more money true, by this yeah, you're not like, like having conversations about what's the freaking funnel to get new listeners or yeah that's exactly kind of and yeah, yeah, i no, think especially for creative stuff. people like those two are they're just like let me focus on what i want and if anything like someone like joe is probably wise enough where he realizes he doesn't need to become a billionaire he's like I've already, i'm already 100 millionaire what else right, do i need right, by that point right, right. so um but yeah it's a really good point it's interesting it's yeah Trying it's pretty fascinating and see like who will be parallel pathing that like the um the rate of growth even for someone that maybe competes in that same world it may be a net positive decision to have the spotify distribution at this point in your career too right because it just creates that advantage it's very very hard for people to to catch yeah. up with and and then the last thing i'll say on that there is the flip side which is joe rogan russell brand who went to luminary uh and maybe now alex i don't know what their situation is with youtube but the fact that those guys aren't on youtube anymore i think is they've got a few clips and stuff but the right. fact they're not available on youtube anymore in an age where billions of people are coming on the internet for the first time and they're all using youtube for free you're right like we forget there's only trunk probably knows the exact number but like two and a half to three billion people with internet access right and and there's seven and a half billion people maybe yeah. eight i don't know so the fact that those people are the leaders in that field. Like I've literally seen a homeless guy on the street in New York watch Joe Rogan. Like I was walking past and, and it's like, <laughs> it's, that's well, the sort of actually, stuff that- so Bilal, let's talk on. about this a bit. Yeah, yeah. So Bilal handles all the logistics for NIA because he's a stud and has OCD. Well, I mean, that's unfair, <laughs> man. I'm not saying you have OCD. You're, you're much more diligent than I am. I'll say that. Um, yeah, yeah, go on. So, I mean, talk us through YouTube, right? Like you're like, yeah, we definitely got to be on YouTube. So- you know, talk through the mechanics of that. Well, again, it comes back to like what stage of growth you're in, like what your objective is, right? So for us, we're optimizing for 
having fun primarily like us Number three one. just like we're like if we have fun we're going to keep doing this yeah and it can brightens up the week a little bit two we say oh well we've already got some people interested in our stuff you two mostly from twitter me from the podcast like why don't we combine forces and maybe a few of them will kind of mingle together and we'll find something new that works so that's kind of how we've we haven't got a big master plan right like we didn't have a business plan and go through the deck so that's kind of how I was thinking of it. And then, so I guess from the stage of growth we're at, we're just like, why don't we just let people consume it where they want to consume? We're not yeah. overly optimizing. Like, you know, I've thought about this for my podcast when I originally launched it. Like I yeah, only did audio first and then brought YouTube after. And the reason for that was one, because it was too much work. And two, uh, because I knew if I concentrated efforts in one place, I could get in the new and noteworthy and all the different charts and all that sort of stuff. Whereas for us, we were like, okay, it's 2021. Like there's so many podcasts out there. Let's just let people, if they like it, yeah. let them watch it. And um, if they want audio, let's put, let them have an audio. But like, I don't know if your question was more around like what goes into it or what, how I think about it. But no, I, I guess the only thing I, I've heard that, you know, because of the, I mean, YouTube's a second biggest search net, a search engine in the world, right? Yeah. And uh, it's just actually has great discovery. So people are just like, you know what, just if you have the video, just put it on YouTube. Like there's a way better chance that's getting discovered there than on freaking like iTunes. Yeah, that that's a great point. Cause this, the, to be discovered on podcasts is really difficult, right? Like, and if you just look at the top charts, like it's almost impossible to find anyone. And this is what I said about Alex Cooper. It was, it would probably be completely impossible for her to get in the position she's gotten in three years by going direct in podcasting specifically. In YouTube, yeah. you could probably do it. And in fact, I've seen people with a million subscribers, but on podcasts, just to compete in the top 100, like most of those people aren't individuals that have started in the last few years. Um, if they oh, were individuals. Like yeah, they're like backed by some, even like Sean and Sam, like they're doing an incredible job on their podcast, but they had the 2 million person list to send an email to yeah. when they launched from day one with the hustle. So there's there's all these uh, examples. And, and I think that's why when you see someone like that kind of winning, you're like, oh, all right, good for them. They, they figured out a way to get in that position uh, and it's worked out for them. So yeah, I'm man. Real. Really, really cool stuff either way in this space, man. Like, there's going to be so much more of this. Um, anything else before we move on to the crazy DeFi world? Oh, I got a bridge from I got a bridge from media to DeFi. Let's so do it. Remember Here that Spencer Noon tweet yesterday about the tokenization of creators and the billion dollar market cap of a creator? Oh, so, yeah. Wait, talk through that? Uh, I yeah, actually... could you... Go on, yeah. Do you remember sure. it? In fact, we might even share the screen if you if we have it up because it's Let probably... Let me pull worth. it up in a... I don't know if it's... Uh, Safe to be pulling up the group chat here, boys. But let me uh, <laughs> direct it to the tweet. Yeah, I was going to say, while you're doing that, Trung and I can stall. But yeah, man, like when you said just there, the Spencer Noon tweet from yesterday, I'm like, what, one of the 152 tweets we sent yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so yeah, many. Here it is. Here it here is. Here we go. Creator tokens with a billion dollar market caps will, will be here a lot faster than you realize. I'm highly interested in connecting with creators and builders, building towards this. So, um, the caller daddy example is, you know, has to be top hundred in the world of somebody that might be able to achieve something like this, right? They have the distribution and the rabid fan base. And, uh, so the one thing that doesn't exist in, uh, in my opinion yet is the, the cultural acceptance of a tokenized person in order to make that happen. But yeah. like he's saying here, that's gonna, that's gonna snowball and it'll quickly change. But it's really interesting to think about, I think this is a Jake Paul thesis, like 
I think it says on the angel list memo, the most uh, desired professional outcome for a kid in the Western world right now is to be a YouTuber, right? hundred um, percent. And that idea of wanting upside in that, you know, whether or not you're competing to be like, be that yourself or you admire somebody in the same way that like a different generation would invest in a business that they know is going to succeed or they have a good, uh, you know, they believe in X. The idea that people are going to invest directly in creators is going to happen, right? We're seeing it happen. It's going to get more uh, popular. So if the Call of Daddy merch operation is like, I don't know, five, 10 million bucks a year, this is just the most simple example I can think of. Say you hold X percent of call a daddy, dollar sign daddy token, right? <laughs> and then yeah. for the position you hold, you get a dividend based on like ad reads. So right. say they're doing 5 million a year in ad reads and they do 5 million in merch. You get a percentage uh, dividend based on that. So it incentivizes the entire audience to pump the living daylights out of the content as well. So everybody's invested, everybody's propelling the message, everybody's like talking their book. Um, and you can harness that as a creator and just, I mean, I think it's just like financial regulations and things is just way, way behind where all this stuff is going. So nobody's touching it for that reason too. Cause they don't want to be. There's literally no greater fucking your own book than. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, it's and, incredible. And that's the way it's going. I, one of the, um, one of the thoughts I had on this the other day is like Elon's businesses have been so far ahead of like culture that there is no regulation that exists to regulate them, right? This, the self-driving car, I remember seeing that for the first time. I was like, how the hell is that legal? So like say, press a button in your car and it's going to drive itself. It's legal because there's no law that's even considered that somebody is not enough to make that thing, right? <laughs> and then you have all of the other things he's built, like flying up satellites and making a like decentralized internet network. There's no governing body. I imagine maybe there is something you probably have to get permission to fire a satellite up. But beyond that, you know, it's so far ahead of culture and law and the internet does all these crazy things where I don't see a room of 500, 70 year olds figuring out how to regulate a lot of this stuff. Um, but as soon as it will be a domino effect, right? Somebody will do it, you know, Jake Paul token. I want a part of Jake Paul's career over the next few decades. Um, yeah. So have you, are you saying, because we obviously we've talked about BitCloud as one area. There's, there's other players out there who are literally allowing you to create creator coins like Rally uh, is mm. a guy I interviewed on Creator Lab. Crazy smart guy who had the billion dollar company from gaming and saw that space and he's leaning into it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, what, I think you already kind of described how that could potentially work. And I, I agree with it. Like, if I could have invested in Jack Butcher Coin or, uh, like, you know, three years ago when I first saw it and I was like, oh, this guy's killing it. Let me get... Uh, well, I you don't still want to can support on BitClub, buddy. Not I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Jack Butcher uh, holder, man. Don't worry about it. Is, and, and actually, it I've got some trunk too. Don't worry. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I think that's an interesting way to, to think about it. But is that how you just see it happening? Is like these sort of platforms? It's just a big, yeah, I think it will be, I think it has to come through a platform and the UX has to be there, right? To onboard the number of people you would, that would be required to float 
a billion dollars of volume in this example. It's like even BitClout feels too, it feels like there's too much friction to get that much money on the platform, especially from the type of people, not to generalize, that listen to Call of Daddy probably are not crypto nerds in yeah. their, in percentage points. So that to me is like, but if you're on iTunes and you could say buy or iTunes equivalent, right? A, a platform that just takes your Apple pay and says like, every time I listen to an episode, I want to buy a cup of coffee's worth of steak in this person's career. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to figure it out. Uh, but it's so messy right now that I don't know. It's a really, it's like a delicate dance. I think the decentralization argument is going to create all of these like, you know, thousands of attempts to do it. But what really needs to happen is like, you need the Robin hood for investing in people. If you want to see that kind of thing materialize. Which is just like really, oh, you're saying, like uh, really turnkey, right? It's yeah, like, like oh, ease yeah. of use. You don't, yeah. you, no one needs to figure out like what the like when we use BitCloud for the first time, like within two clicks, you've already something's messed up already. Like right, that, right. people just won't. An average person won't do that. We might. Well, let's let's talk about BitCloud. Actually, can we? Can you Go guys on. explain yeah, yeah, what yeah. BitCloud is? And also, there's been some recent milestones that kind of quote unquote legitimize the platform. So if you guys can just talk about that, just. I know not every listener will be as yeah, well Jack, versed in it. I feel yeah, like yeah. you've been been actually creating stuff that, for it. So uh, yeah, what what is it first of all, and what made so, you change your mind on working on it more? So regularly? It, it got announced, I think, close to six months ago, maybe or three, four months ago. I don't remember the exact date, but decentralized social is the idea. So a uh, social platform where everything you write is recorded on-chain, immutable. There's no moderation from the top down. Um, so obviously that brings its challenges. But the thing that... It looks like a Twitter knockoff is the other part. Yeah, it, like I, mean, it's I might same. just share my screen. So while you're speaking, I can just share for people who've never seen it before, just what it looks like. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Keep yeah, it's going. like a it's like a crypto looking Twitter, right? It's got the like yeah. uh, monospaced font. Can you guys see that? Yeah, yeah. Feed. You can post tweet or you can post clouts. And Man, every Craig's, creator Craig's on there. Craig's coin is ripping. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, Craig. Yeah, and yeah. and for people who are 10. only listening on on audio, click the link in the description Craig for Clemens. the YouTube. I mean, he must be one of the, I mean, he, I, I, I've seen him. He's number three. On, holy shit, man. Yeah, he, he rose up the ranks. So this is Craig Clemens for people um, who don't know who he is. He's like a business guy. And he's also... Um, he, he was like a copywriter guy and he, he's made a bunch of money with his companies. And he's also uh, does a lot of philanthropy stuff. That's how I know him from um, Charity Water. He's like a, oh, a well member. So yeah, he's, he's a great guy. But yeah, he's just risen up the ranks. Like he's literally number three biggest um, coin on here. Well, right, hey, sorry, click yeah. on your math. Click on your math. Yeah. So, so he, ca he's, he came through this week. So he started posting. So there's a big like tide turn. To go back to the beginning of the story of BitClout, mm -hmm. they marketed it in a genius way because they reserved all these profiles for people that already have massive Twitter followings yeah. and assigned a, uh, a pre-mined a bunch of uh, BitClout, which is the, the token, and assigned it to those accounts. And you could claim it by um, signing in and tweet, oh, sorry, tweeting out a link that you were setting up your BitCloud account. So it was a brilliant growth hack, viral marketing built into it. And a lot of the crypto community were very uh, resistant to it at first. And some, a lot still are because of the pre-mining is like this tactic that is not 
inherently consistent with the like diehard crypto principles. The ethos. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're taking people's um you're taking people's identity without their permission and leveraging that to get attention. So there's there's a lot of uh issues that people took up with it. Um in the last few months they've released the code base. So there was a lot of um like open sourced it, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was a lot yeah. of speculation that it was just gonna be a complete like rug pull, right? People go in there and they <laughs> like, like a and they had hundreds of millions of worth of ether inside. Yeah. yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. It's actually Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, so they had all these all this money. You could invest in the platform and buy coins, but you couldn't withdraw it, which is like crazy that they got anybody to participate in it, honestly. Is, have they can you can you take money out yet? So they just got listed on an exchange. So the, the on blockchain.com or crypto.com or something. Yeah. Yes, yeah, one of those. So that like you know, all of the, uh, the things that were dodgy about it to a lot of people a few months ago, a lot of them have been, uh, you know, addressed or there's been some response to it. There's still people that just don't fundamentally agree with the philosophy of the platform, I guess, but you're now seeing like bigger, bigger personalities show up there. Yeah. Um, so th just this week we had a uh, Brian Armstrong fan of Coinbase, um, I think Chamath, like you said, has been Chumath posting for the first time in a long time or first time. Um, so yeah, I think that helps as well because you you realize, okay, there there's investors that are behind this that people have heard of and respect. And then there's these people, of course, stuff could still go wrong, but um, I think that definitely helps. So yeah, Jack, for you, like what are you seeing with it now as yourself? Because you've been creating stuff on there. How are you finding it compared to other places that you post on Twitter and Instagram, for example? It's interesting. It's like um, Balaji is a guy to follow on BitCloud as well, because he writes different stuff on there to Twitter and his, you know, galaxy brain take on a different <laughs> incentive structure underneath a social network. There's a lot of really smart stuff that he writes. People can develop apps that sit on top of it. So obviously you have access to the source code. So a different way than like just an API call on Twitter, you could redesign, you could do a new front end for BitCloud. You could build like... Um, new notifications into it. You could build new incentive structures. So it's kind of a, you know, evolves by consensus and adoption versus, you know, something like a Twitter, which is just a top down, like updates pushed out from San Francisco, right? Um, what else was I going to say about that? Uh, it's interesting. You get a lot less, uh, it's a lot more positive in general, right? Because everybody has an economic value assigned to their name. And if you go around like, shitting on people's work, then nobody's <laughs> going to buy your stuff. Nobody's yeah. going to support what you're doing. So it does create this positive environment, but it also creates this like kind of gambling. There's a lot of pumping pump going on. Yeah, exactly. Speculation. So, exactly. And that's yeah. like a really difficult thing to address. And when you see these takes on like billion dollar creator coins, I think for it to really take off, it has to be more, maybe not more thoughtful, but there just has to be less, um, I don't think the general public is ready for that level of volatility. Like if I'm, you know, signing up for BitCloud and I wake up one morning and my market caps dipped 50% and I'm not like a crypto diehard, I'm just be like, this is demoralizing. I'm not going to do this. So I think it's like, uh, it's going to be a really interesting social experiment. And maybe it's like, it just ends up as a vehicle to speculate on like celebrity growth and like a certain type of person. Um, but as it, it feels like there's a lot of cultural barriers to overcome for it to be yeah. um, adopted by everyone. And 
what scale do you really have to be to make a living off that? Like if you have a, you know, if you have a million dollar market cap and then 10% of that is yours, you know, in some parts of, uh, you know, some people's lifestyles, especially people who have the, have garnered the amount of attention to warrant a million dollar coin price, a hundred thousand yeah. dollars is not a lot of money. <laughs> And then yeah. if you're dumping that for cash, it's not going to look great either. Right, right, right. So yeah, that's the thing. If you sell anything, it kind of notifies even... Because I, when I first joined BitCloud, I put like $1,000 of my own money into platform to play around with it. I was like mm -hmm. buying people's coins that I like and stuff like that. And I just thought it as if this went to zero, like that was yeah, worth the learning. Some. But now I was like, oh, now it's gone up a little bit. Like some people put it in mine. And I was like, oh, let me take out my initial stake. And then I was like, oh, all these people are going to think I'm like dumping on them, which yeah, I'm not. Yeah, so yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a tough one. But anyway, I think that's a really uh, like well described on BitCloud specifically. But I think if we think about like what this is going to look like in the future, there's not just going to be a BitCloud. There's going to be four or five, maybe 10 different ways people are being able to speculate or be a part of you know their communities or whatever. And I think um, it, there's an overlap between BitCloud, this other kind of creator coin stuff I mentioned before, and then even like NFTs. So um, like with Gary V, for example, I don't know all the details, but he's got this whole V friends thing going. He's got like a Discord or whatever with people in there in his little community, but he's packaging it up with other stuff in the real world as well. So they're doing events. Um, and you kind of get access to his special club by buying NFTs. And it, I think that's quite smart because previously, you know, like us, we've got a podcast. We could say, hey, everyone, we're doing one a week. If you want the second one every week, join our Patreon. And yeah. maybe we'll do like an event once in a while. You'll get early access. But now there's more creative executions of that idea. And instead of just paying Gary V's team, you're getting an actual piece of like V friends or whatever it is. It looks yeah, like yeah. a little Pokemon thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, <laughs> so what anyway, you're trying to say on. is uh, we got some Pokemon NIA merch coming. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to get Fiat fan before he becomes yeah. <laughs> trillion dollar fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that was really interesting. Anything else from you two on, on that before we move on? Cause there's lots going on in this DeFi crypto world that we wanted to touch on. We could do a segment on this every week. So let's move on. All right, cool. You, Try guys, uh, you guys should dump on, uh, this is also, so Cuban DeFi, I have no idea what's going on. So I'm, I'm going to be a listener and I'm going to throw questions as if. All right, me too. So <laughs> no pressure, Jack. I'm just, before we get into that, I'm going to just share my screen again here. Um, because I think our friend John Rich, aka Coked Up Options, yeah, yeah, on Twitter yeah. really Unreal. summarized. Did you? Can you guys see my screen here? Yeah. So, <laughs> just to tee up. So John Rich, for people listening, said, "Want to be a crypto millionaire? Start as billionaire Mark Cuban and invest in Titan." <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. And yeah. the reason I, I kicked that off with that is because there's two big stories here. One is during the week, one of you guys, maybe Jack, had shared Mark Cuban's uh, blog post, um, which was titled The Brilliance of Yield Farming, Liquidity Providing, and Valuing Crypto Projects. And if you're listening and you don't know what the hell that means, don't worry, 99.9% .9 of the world doesn't either. Um, and then I don't, think, so I don't think Mark Cuban knows what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Completely. 
So yeah, so that was the first thing. And a lot of us within our group chat anyway, we were both, we were all saying, man, like this guy's really deep. Like he's getting in there, like he's in these Discord channels, like chatting to people and really getting in it. And I, I think he genuinely really likes this stuff. But then what happened fast forward, like only in the last few days, uh, one of the things he wrote about, uh, which is called Titan, basically went to zero. Um, and so, and again, so he does. Titan and how big of a stake did Cuban have from what you guys understand? I don't, and, it, and has he responded to it going to zero? I, I, well, before this podcast, there was nothing on his Twitter feed talking about okay. it. Um, so what is Titan? Uh, it's, it's some um, like DeFi protocol. I think it it's either, um, I think it was an actual, it's actual uh, asset. Titan, right? It's, uh, I think so. There's there's Titan, and then there's like Iron or something, which was a stable coin, uh, from what I understand. And uh, there's a lot of jargon here. So for less, because we we had a few people asking us to define stuff. So DeFi is decentralized finance. TradFi is traditional finance, which we're all used to the banking system. Mm -hmm. DeFi is this new world being built. Uh, where people are essentially being able to do everything in traditional finance, but through um, no central party, so no bank needed. So for example, I could lend my money out to someone else and get the interest instead of the bank taking making 6% and giving me 0.1, I will get a lot of the upside. There's also things like self-paying loans, which sounds like a scam, but then when you see how it works, you're like, wow, this is actually a real thing. Um, and then there's these things called liquidity farms. The way I would describe this, and again, I might be completely wrong, so comment in the YouTube comments below to let me know how dumb I was here. But the way I think of a lot of these things, when you're trading Ethereum or any you know currency or Ether for another currency, there needs to be money in the middle, essentially, to allow the transactions to happen. So if, if I'm someone who's willing to put my money up in these pools, um, I'm again getting upside from all these fees of these transactions, whereas previously, again, the bank or money exchange would make that. Um, and again, I might have completely screwed that up, but that's kind of how I've been seeing it from what I've been reading. Wait, guys, hold on. I have a, I have a note here. Gone. Uh, Cuban has addressed the issue. Oh, uh, live, live. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so, Mark Cuban wrote, uh, he thinks regulation be, should be in place to define what a stable coin is. So he's writing now that they should regulate mm. this stuff. Oh my God. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, what to be fair, on his I'm blog post, right at the top, it says this is not investment advice. So, uh, you know, people made their own decisions. But go on, go on Jack, what are you going to say? So, so uh, I, think you, I think you at least matched my understanding of defining those terms and it just it feels like you can there is a huge amount of arbitrage because the system is growing at such a huge rate right so people are entering the system are paying fees and then you know you by lending liquidity to a pool for people to swap between all these currencies you can capture some of those fees as upside and the greater the return the riskier the pool of uh, of assets you're being mixed in with or lending toward. And this is, this is tangential, but one of the things that I read in some Twitter thread about this last night was because of the, the, this world is growing so quickly, the ta there's like a dearth of talent that can actually audit the smart contracts that underlie oh, a lot completely. of these. That's a great point. 
So it's like these things can be really well-intentioned and it's obviously like nascent technology, nascent code, and it's running perfectly. And I was like, it's too good to be true. And then X happens, millennium bug style, like overlook. <laughs> millennium bug. I mean, dude, that's a, uh, that, you know how when there's a new paradigm shift or whatever, just, these, these careers that just take off, right? Like, uh, yeah, we could go back. one of them. You go back to like the 40s or whatever, go back to uh, when they did a fracking, right? In the 80s, it's like, hey, listen, if you're a petroleum engineer and you know how to do this stuff, like you're going to get paid. This yeah. is like the equivalent of that, right? Yeah. If you yeah. And the thing is, there's- Or audit contracts, crazy. And I was just going to say, because there's, this doesn't mean, you know, a lot of people will just hear the headline, which is DeFi zero scam, yeah. right? And yeah, yeah, it, yeah. this is like anything. It's like, if, if I said to you, banking system, Lehman Brothers zero, or yeah. wh whatever happened That's in the past. That's a great analogy. Th yeah. yeah, right. Like there's, there's, you're oversimplifying. So yeah, DeFi is a, is a really incredible space and there's really interesting, innovative stuff happening, but there's different segments, right? Like the ones that I've been playing around with, you're not getting 10,000% APY, right? Like you're getting 20%, 15%, and, that, and that's a lot more reasonable returns on your money. And But those are the big kind of like blue chip DeFi um, things like Compound, Aave, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And those ones have been audited, right? And they've got like lots of really smart people working on it, billions of dollars worth of money in them already. And then you've got the next segment, which I would say are, you know, good ideas, um, not necessarily badly intentioned, but like haven't been audited. And there are smart bug contract, um, uh, sorry, smart contract bugs and stuff like that, that that can be exploited or things can just haven't been tested out. And, and then there's the final one, which hopefully is less, but there's actual real Ponzi schemes and people trying to fraud people out. So you need to be careful of those. Um, that's how I'd group them. From my understanding, I don't know enough about this one, but the big catalyst for this is one that there was like, um, what was it called Titan and then Iron or something, which was the stable coin, something like that. But it was an algorithmic stable coin. So again, we don't have time to go into what that means, but essentially the algorithm fucked up right? because yeah. <laughs> as more and more money was going out of one, I think it impacted the price of the stable coin. So stable coins are supposed to be $1, right? But the, over time it kept like, I Lose think dropping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So long story short, in a very quick amount of time, stuff dropped to zero. And I don't know the, the reality of what's happening now, but um, it looks like, you know, obviously some people might have lost some money and it's going to give a bad name to that. I think Mark Cuban's going to be on the Cuban, back foot. I, huh, what do you, I mean, and that's tough way, because he's been... I, obviously, I don't think he's trying to like scam anyone because he has more to lose. I just think. No, but he, like, how will this look for him? Like, he over the last couple of months has looked like a guy that's like embracing crypto. Yeah. You know, uh, letting Dogecoin be used as a medium of exchange at the yeah. Maverick Stadium at games, and just being a kind of like you know being a supporter. evangelist. I mean, this probably looks bad. I mean, it looks awful for him on that. Front, I think right? it does. Yeah. I think it does, but I think, you know, like if you're going to be involved with this sort of stuff, there's always going to be the simplified headlines. And uh, I think crypto gets a lot of that already, good and bad, right? Like a lot of people are just like seeing the headline that something's up a thousand percent and they get involved and then they lose their money a year later and sell everything. So I think he's in a position now where, yeah, he should probably clarify. I didn't read what he's posted already uh, just recently. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's a tough one, man. Because most people, you're going to have to explain to people why something happened where most people don't even understand what's happening in the first place. So 98% of people aren't even going to listen. And then you've just got this stain on you. But yeah, tra- Jack, what, what do you reckon? I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it's one of these things where it's like you don't even know what to look out for. It's that new that like, yeah, I think you've had a positive experience for X number of months to conflate that with like this thing is good and can't break is just for somebody that has that level of distribution and influence. And you could argue that that's like, you could say not investment advice is like 48 people probably watching this right now. So hopefully the (laughs) the extent of the damage of people ignoring anything we talk about. And I would say that we're not, making the um making the same assertions right where like cube like you cuban's reputation is huge and rightly so because he has made great calls over the course of like three decades and for him to endorse something like this is like it's a big signal right and it probably tipped a lot of people into it and now he's probably feeling uh although yeah he's probably feeling rough I just want to say he actually constructed like one of the most legendary like dot com era trades, right? He sold broadcast.com to Yahoo for I think uh six bill, five point seven billion. And uh he got a bunch of Yahoo stock in the deal and he went to Goldman. He's like, Okay, Yahoo stock is ninety-five dollars a share. Uh I, I don't I think we're in a bubble and the shares are locked up, I can't sell. So he did a caller trade, which is uh basically he guaranteed uh, using options, he guaranteed $95 a share would be the, the, the worth of his, uh, the, the deal that he would walk away with. Uh, but then Yahoo ran up to like 235, so tripled. Everybody's like, oh, what an idiot. And then it crashed to 13. It looks like a fucking genius, right? Oh, damn. Yeah. So uh, pretty funny. You know, you go, you, I think, I think just reason I'm telling that story is that, you know, he made it, he, he's made a very legendary, uh, moves and trades in the past, clearly. Uh, you know, you have to see how this plays out. Like, uh, I think it's too soon to tell, but the optics are not great. As yeah, of it's not great. It's not great. But I will say, like, again, I haven't read his full blog post or his apology or whatever he's put out. So he didn't say, I'm an investor in this thing. Come and use my platform. He said, this is something I'm playing around with. Um, mm. Like, know the risks. And like, and he's said he's only putting a small amount of money in it. So I think macro level, he's going to be proved right that this stuff is really interesting. It is potentially right. the future. He's going to keep investing in it. And the people who just disregard him and say, oh, well, anything he says in the future is I'm not going to listen to. Well, then I think they'll probably miss out because he's probably going to keep finding interesting stuff. Um, and it's just on us to say, all right, if something's a thousand percent or 10,000 percent return, there's probably a reason for that, right? Like <laughs> it's not rocket science. Um, so, and, and I've been in some of these discords where people are like, look, the rug could be pulled at any moment. So like get in now and get out. And I'm like, okay, well, th- th- so you're going into it knowing that's the case. Yes, what else do you expect? You know, like th- th- you should only put in the money in that sort of stuff where you're literally, we say this about Bitcoin, but I really mean it about this one. Like, this could go to this zero. This one is completely. legit buyer beware. This one is like completely. all jokes aside. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Listen I, to the I've, title of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I don't know if we kind of, I know people had asked us to talk about this. It's quite a complicated topic. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we did. We, we we talked enough about it. But was there anything else, boys, before we move on to the next well, one? Well, actually, uh, I know that uh, I think uh, we have like 10 minutes here. Uh, I got no more thoughts on this, but 
Bilal, I just want to see if you want to do the next one. Just uh, uh, listen to questions, unless Jack had a thought. No, do it. Yeah, do go it. on. Yeah, so yeah, uh, hopefully that was a good, good enough summary. Um, the the one thing I will quickly add is we won't have time to talk about the whole thing, but there was also a guy who had his MetaMask wallet uh, hacked recently. I think he lost two million dollars worth mm. of stuff. So maybe we'll we'll work. Like the the reason I'm mentioning that is all of this stuff is super high risk. And I think it's worth it to to be involved and figure out what's going on because this is potentially the next huge wave of the financial uh, infrastructure that's being built. But know what you're doing and take your time and don't like jump to the stuff that is just going to be too good to be true because most of the time it is that. All right, let's do some quick uh, audience questions. Um, let's see. The first one was from Joe Wolf Castle. He said, would be interesting to hear how you all know each other if you've worked together or if you'd like to work together at some point in the future? Quite a good question. Uh, I would just say from outside as a summary, uh, we, none of us have met each other in person, first of all, which is kind of <laughs> crazy, right? Like that's- yeah. internet, bro. It's amazing. So we all met basically on Twitter, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, it's weird, man. I, I've been talking about this to, to close in real life friends and like we talk about the podcast few of them listen and they're like you guys sound like you've known each other for years and uh just, like just that chemistry man that crypto that you can't fake it <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so it's weird man like we've we, we talk pretty much every day by this point in group chats and sending each other funny stuff but uh yeah anything else from you guys on that Want to add? That's it. I, yeah. The first time I met, I heard Trung's voice. I was having a barbecue with Sam Parr in Austin, FaceTime. and uh, he FaceTimed, he FaceTimed Trung, or the other way around. And uh, yeah, ever since. Yeah, never been, met uh, a while. I, I feel like this is a, to answer the question: Will we work together? I mean, this is it, right? Like, this is work for us. It's like work. Yeah. Really I mean, work. What? What? What is? I don't know if we'll quote unquote work together, but we're choosing to hang out and like put content out there. Uh, some people yeah. might just see that as play, which it really is kind of right now. The future of work is not working, boys. Hill, <laughs> Lavinia. It's true. Um, yeah, so that, that definitely. I think the one thing is, I, I mean, uh, also with Jack, like I met Jack through the podcast. We did one really good podcast and I think we got on enough. We were like, oh, let's stay in touch. A lot of people say that, but Jack, I could actually tell he would like text me back and text me stuff that, he, did, he didn't need to text me that stuff, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, okay, we get on. We had a little um, UK vibe. And then by the time we did the next one, we did another podcast. And then we've just stayed in touch where we're like, oh, maybe we'll do something together. And similar to Trunk, I don't know if Trunk and I ever said, oh, we could do a podcast together. But we were like in trying to encourage each other, essentially, with the work we were doing. And um, yeah, from, from me, when I approached you guys to do the podcast it was because i thought oh these characters essentially coming together will probably be kind of cool um and like i knew that like you guys have got your own stuff but you weren't doing something in this space so it was that was kind of my pitch to you guys was i mean honestly the, like this is just we're doing this anyway just in a group chat right and now all we're doing is like recording basically it, a weeks of group chatting in a conversation exactly this is very far from work yeah just just sure. a fair point but yeah maybe in the future we'll see how it goes i think just the way i like to work is i get to meet people see if we actually genuinely like each other get on that's one part which i think we already passed the next part is do we actually like working together which is a different thing because the work styles can be very different 
And then there's like, are there complementary things? Like, let's say someone starts a company, someone starts a fund, whatever. Like, maybe there's other stuff. But for the moment, this is what we're what we're doing, which is which is enough. It's been fun. Spotify, if you're listening, we will do twenty million here. <laughs> Each, right, each. Yeah. Hey. All right. Yeah, next each, one. Each. Um, Pranav. And a few people have asked this in the past about Trung's Reddit discovery. So I think I speak for everyone when I say I want to know how Trung finds such crazy stuff on Reddit. Laugh out loud. I'll Trung, be honest with you. I'm not even yeah. like, like I used to post on Reddit. You can find my profile there. I don't have very much karma. It's like 1500. Um, when I did, it was all memes. Like I was starting up the meme thing. So I had some fire ones. But the TLDR is, the, the, what I tell everybody is like, you should just follow like the, you literally just Google what are the most popular Reddit accounts. And this is how I tell people on board, follow all those. It's like, uh, ask me anything, uh, ask Reddit, uh, interesting as fuck. Thank you. Shower thoughts. Yeah. Just follow those and that'll get you used to kind of the interface and how the information is fed to you. But there's a tab in the phone that's called popular. And it's literally going to feed you the stuff that you have no idea exists. Uh, but it's all, half of it's all new. And, and it's categories that you've never heard of. And you literally just pick and choose what interests you, right? And like for me, like I, I clicked on one called history porn. It has nothing to do with pornography. It's just crazy images from history, right? And uh, that was fed to me through the popular tab. I had no idea how they figured out I love history, but I do. And uh, I just will pull some random stuff out of there. And then as you start doing all that, you start learning how to use the functionality of Reddit, which is search function, right? And and following uh, a popular posters. So like, that's literally it is you really, the, the popular tag is really important because those are the things you'll have no idea that you even knew existed. And I get fed popular stuff all the time. A lot of that ends up like in the Twitter feed. So just to summarize is get the Reddit app on your phone, um, follow the top 20 accounts. They'll just Google them, the biggest accounts on Reddit. And they'll, they'll recommend you subreddits all day. Just follow anyone that you find interesting. And uh, that and the popular tab, which also feeds you new subreddits. So that's how you quote unquote find interesting stuff. It's like literally getting pushed to you. Yeah. And, uh, Trung, one thing to add is on the app, when you go to one of the subreddits you go to top posts there's difference between hot posts which are more like recent yeah you can look at and you can yeah you can you can sort uh any by subreddit by the most popular posts of all time right yeah so That's you it. can do like top posts all time or this year or like this yeah. month or whatever and that tells you whether or not you're like oh i actually you know this is interesting i like this Completely. Uh, i like this subreddit right it's also a great idea for just um like well, I've learned a bunch of stuff about like personal finance on a lot of their subreddits, like for the fires ones and, and the crypto stuff early on as well. And you just find these evergreen pieces where they're explaining oh the God. fundamentals of investing and stuff like that. And it's, it's really cool. It's well, really Blake, good. Uh, Blake Robbins, uh, a venture capitalist, a uh, pretty big Twitter personality. Uh, his tweet he had like two, three days ago, he was basically saying like, I want Reddit to be like my new first stop for search. I think Google is uh, cluttered with ads interface is becoming kind of like, you know, commerce-fied. He's like, Reddit has all this insane gold, right? It's just like yeah. these comments that you can find. The way it's categorized information is just incredible. I mean, listen, buyer beware. Like, this is so funny. I did a Reddit thread last week of uh, one of these Ask Me Anythings of like, what are industry secrets that nobody knows about? I put out, I think, 25 or 30 of them. 
fuck, of course some of that shit's going to be like, like not vetted. Some guy writes me, he's like, you didn't vet this, did you? I'm like, dude, it's fucking Reddit. Jesus, there's like three <laughs> layers of internet going on here. It's me finding something on Reddit from someone who read something probably somewhere else on the internet. And like, I'm putting it on Twitter and people are like, Hey man, like, uh, 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 what's the one that IMDB used to do? Oh, IMDB, the, uh, the movie database used to have a category called movie plot holes. People would be like, man, this movie has these crazy plot holes. Dude, it's a fucking movie, man. Jesus, of course it's going to have plot holes. I'm like, I read these comments and I, all I can think in my head is uh, idiot on the internet finds some other content, some other idiot wrote, and he complains that this guy found it somewhere else on the internet. Like, fuck, man, buyer beware, left, right, and center. Just use your own brain when I'm putting these things out. You should read some of the comments. It's hilarious. Guys are like, number four, seven, and eight are all fake. I'm like, okay, cool, man. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you. You've contributed a lot to this conversation. Man, smart comments are the worst thing about Twitter, man. Like people trying to be like, I'm so smart, I figured this out. Oh like I God. even I had one we I did this really in-depth thing on Ethereum on my podcast with this dude. And it was honestly as detailed as I've seen in Ethereum like overview and what's going on. And one guy is just like, Solana is not an alternative because it is not Turing complete. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> go just shut the fuck up. You actually I'll, I'll, I'll leave one last <laughs> point on this. About? I uh, uh so I put so many shit posts now, like I shit post two, three times a day, but like the nature of my shit post is this. I want to put 80% like factual information and like people get ahas. And then last 20% is just a kicker, total shit post. Like perfect example is one about uh, Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft. He just got named chairman. So he's been CEO for seven years yesterday, uh, which at uh, that time of this recording would have been a week ago. He was named the chairman of Microsoft. And I just wrote, Satya, breaking news, Satya Nadella is now the chairman of Microsoft. Since he took over the company in 2014, they've added 1.6 trillion to the market cap, yet he himself is only worth $800 million. Uh, then I put the old shit post uh, kicker lesson, you know, you don't get rich being an employee. Yeah. And sure enough, <laughs> fucking sure enough in the I comments, saw that. what do you mean he's not rich? 800 million is a lot of money. And I'm just like, dude, I, I, this is what I've done now. With these comments that completely missed a joke, I, I want the commenter to know I read their comment, but I'm going to hit like and just not reply to it. I'm going to hit like, so they're going to see that I saw it. I want them to know that I saw it, but I'm just not going to address it. Like I can no longer address these comments. I can't tell people now, Hey, it's a joke. It's like, if you don't get it, like it just, there's no reason for me to explain to you. But uh, anyways, man, that's uh, I think we have, one, we have one more, one more question. I thought we got, yeah. If you got one minute. Um, yeah. The last one, is what there was one question which probably we'll get to next week which is smart contracts impact on society explained in memes i think we need more than two minutes for that (laughs) but but the last one was from nikhil um and nikhil's the guy who wrote the thing in spotify uh my very actionable piece in spotify so he said oh for Jack, why go to Substack when you're averse to platforms because you're using Substack as your email newsletter provider right yeah yeah Substack is uh I actually built off Substack for a second. So you need a platform to distribute emails. Like there is, unless somebody else knows how you can send an email without using a piece of software, like there, ha- there is a dependency on a platform somewhere. Um, and initially I built um, ConvertKit and Stripe and then was collecting through Stripe and I'd set up a bunch of integrations and then pass that through to ConvertKit and get people to, uh, you know, confirm their email and all that kind of stuff. Substack, I have already have a list, already have distribution. Substack lets you export your 
emails. So you can take the whole list, download it as a CSV whenever you want. So there's not an, not an insane amount of risk there. And they have an interface for collection, uh, for displaying the difference in benefits between paid users, free users. You can send previews of paid posts to some users and uh, sorry, previews of paid posts to your full list. And then you can segment by paid. Their analytics it's like designed specifically for this use case, right? Like, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just that much more done a good compelling job. and like the built-in distribution of converting a free newsletter that has 15,000 subscribers to a paid newsletter is, you know, you're basically starting again for no reason if you don't do that. So I'm like sensitive to platform risk to some extent, but email is a little different. I think, um, I hope that I'm not writing anything controversial enough that I would be considered for getting booted off Substack, but yeah. um, time will tell. But I, th- Wait, I think the also, question- Hold on. on, I just want to say, Jack, so the, I think the big TLDR takeaway is here, you get to still own your list. Yeah, yeah. You could download yeah. the list whenever so you want. So the, the, the platform risk then that uh, Akil's referring to, there actually isn't a ton of platform risk from your- Yeah, I think, but I think his question, I don't know if this is what you meant, but I think he was maybe talking about the cut that they take, which is like 10%, or is it 10%, I think, of paid yeah, yeah, revenue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that, I'm assuming that's what he means, but um, he didn't actually mention that. But normally that's when people too. criticize Substack, they're normally saying, why are you on Substack when you could pay a lot less elsewhere? And yeah, I guess that's a different story. Because co- your conversion rate on Substack is probably twice what it would be on some like hacked together site of your mm. own. And yeah. it's just like, you don't get indexed on the Substack homepage. Like it's a really interesting debate because you can argue what percentage they deserve for that. But it's kind of like the, if you have escape velocity, like if your if your email is growing, then is 10% really going to make a difference to you. Like it's not, yeah. the, it's really my internet businesses are so strange, man. It's like you either like absolutely smash it out of the park or you just struggle forever. It's a really interesting... Uh, I, I like how you put that. You just smash out of the park or you struggle forever. Yeah, because you literally <laughs> could just be grinding away for this. Um, like working for one subscription a week and paying 10%. It's like, if you weren't paying the 10%, what difference is the outcome really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the one thing I'll say is uh, I've asked a few people who... Um, quite big on Substack, like Lenny, Pump, Polina, they're all some of the big Substackers and they've all said, we gain enough from it that we it warrants the, the cost. We like Substack, they help us out, they feature us, whatever. They like the team, they like what they're building. And the, the final part, which I think is key, is you have the option. If you get to a point where you're spending 100 grand a month on subscriptions, paying right. it out to them, you could make that decision and say, now I'm going to take that list and take it elsewhere. So but guess you what, you're not going to get but you're not going to get 90% conversion when you move your list. Nobody yeah. is. So like, it's a really... Wait, what do, you, what do you mean? If you move your list, you basically have to re-ask people to sign up to this new thing? Yeah, you'd have to go and capture payment elsewhere, right? So say oh, you have... Oh, so there, there, there's oh. a bit of pop on this. If you're making a million bucks a month... I think you get the Stripe side. I think I've heard that. But I don't, we'd have to verify. But yeah, I, I think there's a way for you to not have to get them to put in their credit card details again and everything like oh, that. Okay, all right. If that's the case, then- But yeah, I could maybe. be wrong on that. But anyway, uh-huh. yeah, either way, you, it sounds like you like it so far and you're, you're willing to pay 10% when it's benefiting you, which is, I think, a fair point of view. Mm. Um, all right, beautiful, man. You guys, have any, right, any closing thoughts or just enjoy the old weekend? 
Man, that was out there. Be careful out there. There was we talked about a lot of good stuff. There's a lot yeah, of interesting good, stuff going on. Yeah, yeah man. Uh, media. I got the board aim spreadsheet up next week, boys. All right. So, <laughs> so if if you made it all the way through the next week, we're gonna talk about apparently how society will be affected by uh, Bilal. What are we talking about? What, what what's the question? How, how oh, smart the last smart contracts. I mean, this could be a whole episode. Smart contracts Dude, impact on society. Episode, explained in be, memes. That's we brilliant. We talk about this for the rest of this podcast. Is the life. <laughs> We should do like a live meme making session on one of the pods. That would be fun. A bonus episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd, that'd be fun. fun. And, and to release it to see if it hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, yeah right. Um, all right, boys, that was fun. Oh, yeah, a lot of good stuff. If you like this, please keep telling your friends. That's the only way we get this out to more people. Uh, write us a review. That would be really helpful as well. And uh, yeah, send us feedback on Twitter. Um, I'm at B Zadie, at Jack Butcher, and at Trung T Fan. Just tweet us, let us know what you think. Until next time. See you next time. Bye bye.